Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 8 of the Flagship Podcast. That's right, our energy is great, but Taylor Estes, my fearless cohort, has no voice. She has high energy, but no voice. Yeah, so my my input this week is going to be very, very minimal because I'm going to spare all of our listeners from having to listen to this horrific sound that is coming from my mouth people that. They're going to turn off. They're going to tune out. (laughs) Not good. All right, let me tell you the, the background story on Taylor losing her voice. So we're at the, uh, this is a little known sort of behind the curtain fact about McLean Stadium. They have speakers. This is what a modern stadium does. They put speakers all throughout the stadium, not just coming out of the video board. So there's like all this club music. I mean, it was like we were at Club Pasha in Ibiza. The only thing missing was the foam party. And Taylor was trying to communicate to me and screaming and lost her voice. Yeah. That's that's how crazy loud McLean Stadium is. Yeah. But we don't want to spend too much time on McLean Stadium. No, it was a good atmosphere though. That was my first time being at a game at McLean Stadium. The last time I covered a game in Waco was at Floyd Casey when it was like nineteen oh. degrees and snowing. Oh and yeah, twenty thirteen. Yes. So uh, that was the last my last experience being in Waco. So this one, you know, the atmosphere was better in McLean Stadium, but this is the outcome apparently. So I have to live with it, I guess. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, thank goodness that uh, there's McLean Stadium now and no more Floyd Casey. That was awful. That was awful. That was uh, well, we don't want to go even darker. We don't need to get even darker than than where we are right now we'll we'll try to here's the goal for this week's thanksgiving week episode eight flagship podcast and if you're not a member at horns 247.com where we hang out where all the cool longhorns fans pull up a bar stool and hang out and talk about look the good the bad the ugly because right now that's a little ugly but brighter days are coming folks Brighter days are coming. You got to trust are me they? on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're coming. I promise. Now, not Friday. Maybe not Friday. Maybe not Friday. Yeah. Could Maybe be Black not Friday. The end of the season. <laughs> right. Could be Black Friday for more reasons than shopping sales. Uh, who knows? I, I will make an argument during today's podcast that this is an eight and three Texas Tech team. That they absolutely would have, could have, should have beaten Baylor. 
would have, could have, should have beaten um, Kansas. Good God, if they just leave the field goal, the block field goal on the field and don't touch it, they beat Kansas and TCU and K State both were field goal games where if they make one stop, they win. Uh, that's four more wins, folks. That's eight wins and three losses. I digress. So what you're saying is Texas has a tough game ahead of them, even though it's not on paper as bad, you know, as tough as it may look. Right. I mean, Texas is a nine-point favorite in this game. Does anyone think Texas is going to beat anybody by nine points right now? Did anyone see the Baylor game? I mean, poor Taylor. She's screaming at me to to say, "Are you covering this bleep?" <laughs> and it was it, it was it was it was as bad in person as well. Those of you who made the trip know it was as bad in person as it was on TV. Yeah. Um. It it. But here's the deal. It's coming to an end, folks. Friday. No matter what happens, it could be great. It could be awful. And at this point, I can't tell you what what it's going to be because I kept trying to give Texas the benefit of the doubt. I kept picking them. I picked them to beat Iowa State. And Tom Herman didn't want to let Sam Ellinger throw down the field with four minutes left. I, for some stupid reason, picked him against Baylor because I'm like, you know what? Baylor's good, but I think Texas is going to come out with some fire. Little did I know that was going to happen when Tom Herman headbutted Malcolm Roach, and that was it. Yeah. Well, to be fair, the defense did come out with fire to start the game. Yeah. Turnover. Uh, boom. Yep. And, you know, I mean, that was the one of the biggest yard or the biggest gains that Baylor had in that game was on that opening drive. What was it? 44 yard completion yeah. or pass and run. And then Deshaun Jameson forces a you know, forces a fumble and Texas recovers. And once again, Texas offense does not answer with another turnover. Seven so, straight. Yeah. Seven straight forced turnovers by the Texas defense. Zero points by the Texas offense. This team does not know how to play complimentary football. No. But Deshaun Jameson, all it does is make plays. <laughs> the depth chart came out this week, Taylor, and Deshaun Jameson was finally a starter. Yeah. Now, Anthony Cook has like a knee injury. I mean, it took like guys getting carted off the field for Deshaun Jameson to finally be a starter and not an or. Right. My God, the guy leads the team in forced turnovers. Yep. God, he got him that interception against Iowa State at the Iowa State 39. And let's go for it. (laughs) All right. Enough of that. Enough. So Friday. Texas is going to take on Texas Tech. Here is the deal before we get to Bobby Burton. And listen to the show today. What? Why, why am I waiting so long to tell you all? It's Bobby Burton. It's Bruce Feldman. Bruce F. and Feldman, who will be on the sidelines in the pouring rain, in the lightning on Friday. Um, this is going to be a horrendous game, folks. The weather's going to be terrible. Bruce is very concerned. Um, and then... A scouting report on Texas Tech from our man Jarrett Johnson of InsideTheRedRaiders.com. Uh, 
if you're an annual member of Horns247.com, you, you have access to every site on the 24-7 Sports Network, which is so deluxe and so cheap. Good God. I mean, get an annual membership. If you're on month to month, get on an annual membership so you can go read all about the Cowboys and the Texans and all of our incredible sites uh, on the 24-7 Sports Network because you have total access to it. Um, it's a LSU. I mean, look, if you're a college football junkie like us, you're on those sites all the time. And now you're on them as part of your annual membership. So come on, Orange247.com. And um, to be fair, this is one of the only networks out there that does offer that option. You can't get other sites VIP um, access or access to their message boards like you can with just paying for one or, or one you know membership to Horns twenty four seven. If you're an annual member, you get all of the all access, all VIP. You get to read other message boards, everything. Um, that's not something any other sites out there does. So that is why you subscribe to Horns twenty four seven. And you get all access to CBSSports.com. Yeah. I mean, that's their version of ESPN Plus, And it's yeah. deluxe. So one annual membership gets you all that. Are you kidding me? And plus, you're like listening to us on the podcast and having the time of your life. I don't know what you're doing right now. You might be cooking Thanksgiving. You might be driving in traffic. You might be shopping. I don't know, but guess what? You're going to be hanging with us year-round right here on the Flagship Podcast, I promise you that, with great guests like, of course, the Godfather, Bobby Burton, Bruce Feldman, and Jared Johnson. Um, Taylor, okay, I'll save this for my tailgate takeaway. Okay. All right, people need to hang on. They need to listen to these great interviews that are coming up, and then... We'll give them a tailgate takeaway, a little something that no matter what happens on Friday on the field, buckle up, kids, because changes are a coming. Changes right, are coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And yes, you definitely want to tune in for that. But, you know, with that, Chip, let's go. Let's bring in Bobby Burton here. Um, let's talk about. You guys, you guys can do your rapid-fire segment talking about Baylor and looking ahead to these potential changes that could be headed to the 40 acres. So let's bring in Bobby Burton. Bobby Burton, the godfather, joins us. I mean, Bobby, it is it's getting rough around here, man. Two straight losses on the road to Iowa State and Baylor. Texas sort of falls into three points at the end of the half and then scratches out a touchdown with a second left to make it a 24-10 loss to Baylor. The Bears go on to the Big 12 championship. Texas fans are probably uh, tired of hearing about that, but your thoughts, my man, before we get into what Tom Herman um, or whoever, uh, what step they should take next? Well, I mean, my first thoughts are they got what's coming to them. I mean, the better team won, the better coach team won. Um, and, you know, we're looking at a Texas team that continues to spin its wheels and has spun its wheels ever since really West Virginia. It's just not, it's not getting better, whether that's offense, defense. I mean, there's just no cohesiveness or no, 
it just doesn't feel like a team chip. It feels like a collection of individuals. And, and I think that's, that's unfortunate, but it's an indictment on, uh, it's an indictment on, uh, on, a, on really the entire team and coaching staff and all of them, of course, they're six and five when they theoretically, I, I thought they had a real chance to win 10 games this year. So when you start talking about underperformance, I, I think that's what this is. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And the offense continues to look like they don't practice from week to week. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way to put it. I mean, they, they didn't look like they practiced for the OU game. They didn't look like they practiced for the Iowa State game, the, the Baylor game. It's, it's, that's not a good look. I, I wonder. I wonder if they, you know, going back to the the Iowa State game. I wonder if they practice if the plays they run in practice actually work because that last drive, those last three plays, Tom Herman called in that game. Do those plays ever work in practice? I doubt oh it. Gosh. I mean, I, I doubt uh, it. <laughs> well, I just so bad. You and I were talking the other day, and it was like, why don't they just bring in some freaking tackles? in their 11 and 12 personnel, like just bring in Tyler Johnson or Reese Moore instead of Reese Leto or Jared Wiley. Right. Get some guys in your block. I don't, I don't even know what to tell you. I, I think I'm laughing at times at this because I think it's, it's comical. The results. All right, Bobby. So that leads us to where Tom Herman goes from here. We don't have to play him one at a time. We we don't have to. I mean, we can break down Texas and Texas Tech a little bit, but Tom Herman said it himself Monday. I'm in big time evaluation mode. And that obviously uh, includes potential staff changes. And I think I think it's pretty simple. Tom Herman's got to go hire the best offensive coordinator he can find. He needs to forget about having someone come in to run his offense. Because right now, if that person asked him what his offense is, I don't think he could describe it. It's unrecognizable. So go hire. I think the first two calls are Joe Brady and Graham Harrell. And see if you can entice one of them with Chris Del Conte's checkbook and and see what see what you can get and turn the keys over and let Tom Herman be the head coach and the the culture guard or whatever he was talking about on Monday. And and away we go. Yeah, uh, look, I we hired we hired and I speak as from a Texas sense. Texas hired. Tom Herman because of his offensive ability, you know? And so you're talking about doing away with the whole reason they hired him in the first place or the vast majority of the reason they hired him in the first place. So I I don't necessarily know that the first order of business is that I think. and, And when Tom Herman says he's in big time evaluation, mode i think chris del conte needs to be in big time evaluation mode i mean this is not a a, he he won set tom herman went seven and six as his first year won the sugar bowl his second year and now he's 
staring six and six or seven and five in the face again. That's not acceptable. I mean, that's that's the he's got a third year starter at quarterback, probably the best quarterback Texas has had in ten years, and he's pobbled. He could very well end up being six and six or seven and five. That's not okay. Does I, he get Does he get a mulligan for misfiring on Tim Beck? We no, know Tom's. Why? That's we know ridiculous. Tom's, we know I, Tom's he, he should, calling that, the plays. Well, okay. Tim, Tim Beck was calling plays the first year too. Why would he get a mulligan on that? Well, I, I don't. I, I don't. No, no, that no. offense I, was terrible his first year. Okay, but it, that, it, that's what I'm saying. Who? Who's? Why would? No, Herman say? blew it. I mean, but sometimes you. Sometimes you can be. I mean, there are things I like about Tom Herman. Like I like that he's a hard ass. I like that his teams are tough. I like that they play physical, and I'm okay with him being the, you know, the tough drill sergeant as long as he's got a talented veteran staff around him and maybe Herman not calling the plays anymore will will free him up to I think he's been he's been pressing this year and it's it's caused a trickle down effect to the whole team and I think he he blew it by hiring Tim Beck he tried to fix it by calling the plays himself but the offense didn't evolve as he tried to do this collaborative offensive game plan and play calling. So I can, I can make an argument that, okay, you get a mulligan on that Tom and we'll bring in a new offensive coordinator. You turn over the offense and, and let's go. Let me ask you a question, Chip. Yes, sir. Is Texas trying to play at Lions Municipal, or are they trying to play at Augusta Maid, Augusta National? Okay, well, hold on a minute. I, because because they don't allow mulligans at Augusta National. I hear you. I'm not, not trying to be uh, – look, I, I'm not necessarily in this camp of Tom Herman needs to go. So I want to be clear about that. What I am in the camp of is Tom Herman needs to be evaluated. It, this is this is not a situation where it's just oh okay the coach needs to go and um, probably look at a new offensive coordinator change out some assistants. There are some things that go beyond the field that are problematic right now. The right, he's a jerk. I, I, well, I don't know. He can be to to certain people. The issue is is you know. Is this program headed in the right direction? That's that's a fair question right now. It just won the Sugar Bowl last year. Now it's back to 500 ball. That's not headed in the right direction. I mean, no doubt, no doubt. In the offense, you know, the the numbers. It looks like catastrophic. The the defense. I actually give Orlando a, a somewhat small pass because since the secondary the since the secondary has been back, they've been appreciably better. But even he had to make some changes mid-year to even get that out of them. I, I, I look at them and I wonder, are they too big for their own britches? And what I mean by that is, do they, are they so confident in their own ability as coaches that they lack the respect of the other teams when they're playing them? And I see that. I feel that sometimes. To 
to make those three play calls he did against Iowa State. That is, that's the type of mentality I'm talking about. To run the same play twice in a row against Baylor on third and fourth down. Those types of things. You don't. Bobby, that's what happens when you headbutt your players before the game. Oh, yeah. So your gray so, matter comes loose. Yeah. So John Makovic's going to have the delayed amnesia or whatever. I mean, that's exactly that, what I thought about, too. Didn't yeah, it? I mean, I, isn't that what you thought about? Yeah. I mean, but Tony Brackens didn't whiplash him to the ground. I, mm. I, I think that my, my point here is that I'm not saying I'm not on this fire Tom Herman. I'm saying let's evaluate Tom Herman, and that includes this week, and and it includes every week thereafter and from the previous weeks that led us to this point because he's making – he's not taking points early in the game. He's making some fundamental choices that are affecting the outcome of the season, and it's not merely who is the offensive coordinator, who is the defensive coordinator – Who's our, who's going to be the special teams coach next? I mean, those right. are not the only issues. No, you're right. I mean, his decision in the Iowa State game to to go for it instead of taking the points after he'd run 15 plays for 28 yards at that point, it's like Deshaun Jameson's interception gave you a gift. Take the points. Now here we are, seven forced turnovers later because there was a fumble in the Baylor game. Seven forced turnovers dating to the OU game, have led to zero points by the Texas offense. And it's a mess. I mean, you you said it. I mean, the third down conversions after the Kansas game, they were number two in the in FBS with, with a 55, almost 56% uh, conversion rate on third down. The last four games, it's been 33%. It's, it's, it's come apart. It's, it's a mess. Um, but they're not any I, good. They're, they're I, just not any good. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's the problem. They're not. And Chris good. Nagar has a year of eligibility and he's walking as a, he's a fourth year player, but he's, he's walking for senior night. Yeah. But that's different. I mean, you know, maybe Herman player. needs to keep him around. He was almost the he, MVP he, of the last four games. He may, he may need to actually, but he, he, he's a kicker and he does not have any NFL aspirations. Uh, I wouldn't imagine. So. That's true. Look, I, right. I, I think if it were if it were Sam Ellinger foregoing his fourth year or Caden Stearns, that, that's that's a different discussion point altogether. Uh, my my take on this is that simply we're at the point now where the conversation for me has fundamentally changed from what do we do here? Does he need an offensive coordinator? Does he need some more guys that can relate to players on the team? The, the conversation is fundamentally changed to, is Tom Herman the right guy to lead the Texas program? Not, I'm not saying what, what the answer is. I'm saying that's the question, in my opinion, right now. And that's what's happened. And those, that result has come because of Texas's play on the field the last half of this season it has been nothing short of pathetic period yep you're i mean they've got they've got two wins kansas and kansas state they're the head of the sunflower i guess i uh, my, my my point is they have done they've gone backwards in ways that are hard for 
people to really stomach. And some of that, and all of it, actually, is with a quarterback that is now gaining more and more experience. So TCU got better as the season went on with the freshman quarterback. I mean, all of these teams are doing better as the season goes on with quarterbacks that gain more experience. Somehow Texas isn't. Yeah. No, it's 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 been uh, a complete failure. And and Tom Herman has a prickly personality that turns off his fan base and turns off his donors and I'm sure at times pisses off his athletic director because he sure sounded like he'd gone to the Chris Del Conte School of PR after the Iowa State game when he snapped when he was asked, were you outcoached? He's like, I'd never say I was outcoached in the post game and then came in Monday and was like, uh, I thought you were asking me if like, I'd gotten fooled or duped. You know, anytime you lose, you're outcoached. And he's been taking some contrition pills here the last couple of weeks. But I get it. I totally get it because I think you are at Tom, with Tom Herman where I am and have been with Shaka Smart. I thought Shaka and still think that the job was too big for Shaka. And he was trying to reinvent himself at Texas. You can't reinvent yourself at Texas. You need to know exactly who you are. You need to know exactly how you go about things. You have to be unwavering. And if you're trying to figure it out on the fly, Texas will eat you alive. And I feel like that's what's happened with Shaka. But it was, you know, Del Conte's in a tight spot. He didn't give that ridiculous contract to Shaka. He's trying to get years off of that deal while still being supportive of Shaka. And and then when the buyout, I guess, becomes more palatable or, or he's felt like he's exhausted the support that he can give Shaka by hiring Luke Yaklik and Andrea Hootie, the strength coach from Kansas. If if Shaka can't make it this year, okay, it, we, we've run its course. It's five years. With Tom, I think he he was – you almost said it right. You said you can't fix – what would you say? You can't fix bullet holes with Band-Aids? Yeah. <laughs> right? Taylor Swift's – Taylor Swift said that, but yeah. Yeah, Taylor Swift. You can't fix bullet <laughs> holes with Band-Aids. And Herman, realizing he made a bad hire as OC, did not want to fire Tim Beck because I was told he knew the percentages that if you fire a coordinator after year one, your chances of surviving as the head coach uh, drop like 40%. So he just made it work by calling the plays himself, and then that ran out this year. And now... I think Del Conte will give him a chance to go hire a new offensive coordinator. It's not going to be Larry Fedora. Um, And then he's going to get one chance to reset this thing, Bobby. And if, and if he makes the right choices, maybe he grows and survives. If he doesn't, you're, you're right. We're probably spinning wheels here. No, let's just all go play at lions. Then (laughs) I I, I think, I mean, that's okay. I mean, I, I enjoy that. So my, my, I think that that is a easy way out of a hard discussion. And the hard discussion needs to be had. The hard discussion um, is $20 and, million, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, what does Texas make a year in, in 
uh, what does Texas football re- generate a year in revenue? Right, but they've got seven hundred sixty million in facility upgrades going on right now. Okay, uh, I mean, look, I think they could probably find a way. Yeah, you you do too, and we can argue that. I mean, if no, if no, no. Florida, if you know, Florida State you know, can find Texas a way to has... buy out Willie Taggart, Texas can find a way to buy out Tom Herman if that's what they want to do. Right. Again, I hear all what you're saying. I'm not into this scenario where I think he has to go. I I feel like there needs to be a larger evaluation here. I agree. Now and let me let me make this argument. Let me make this argument, and you tell me what you think. Chris Del Conte has come in. He did not hire Shaka Smart. He did not hire Tom Herman. He wants Texas to not be this revolving door of change. So, because so that, hire somebody that's good. Right, right. Let, get to it. So who no, is it? D- d- I don't know. Yeah, you you don't gonna, fire a guy unless you got a guy. No, that's just totally untrue. What? Having hired... I've hired over a thousand people in my life, Chip. That's not well, true. Okay, help me though. You haven't hired <laughs> a, a football coach at the University of Texas where you got a million, you know, offensive coordinators and coaches breathing down your neck. No, tell me. Okay, tell me why Texas doesn't need to have a guy if they fire Herman. Oh, I mean, I think that that would be part of the process. So I think you eventually land on that. But if go hire Matt Rule. No, no, I don't think that's the right hire. I mean, hey, I think say got no, guys. no, that guy's no, I chilling. I don't like the Matt. I don't like Matt rules that I don't like him that much. Oh, yeah? I, I think, no, I'm, I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's this, you know, soothsayer. I, 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 he is in a situation right now where he's got a heavy upper class team. A lot of whom were recruited from Blake Lynch to James Lynch to um, J- Jamichael Hasty to Denzel Mims. Chris Platt, all those guys are are uh, uh, Art Bryles guys. So, and that's the majority of that. Deep Graylin Arnold was a guy that was originally recruited by by them. So I'm not. I think that they are building something at Baylor. It's not what they are now. That they're running into a certain situation where they actually are making the most of their seniors right now. Not so. Don't. I'm not trying to pick pick fights here and say that he's this or that. I just don't think he's all of that, especially on offense. Um, The thing that I would get at is, as I look at it, um, I, I still like Matt Campbell at Iowa State. I think, what has he been a coach, a successful coach at two different stops now. He's going to probably win eight games, seven of the last eight years. Two of them at, or three of them at Iowa State. Give me a break. And I, I just look at it, and I think there's 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 guys like him out there. There's Justin Quinte at Virginia Tech, who literally had to, you know, basically yeah. he had to fire his his own quarterback for off field issues, and still won, and is winning again this year. I mean, look, you could say yuck all you want. <laughs> Those guys are, those guys actually have won at two places. I agree. So is Matt Rule, Temple. Uh, okay. And That's, so, okay. That's Baylor. fine. And he Add started, to I mean, he took over my a Baylor point. program with the worst PR problem in college football history, arguably. So, my point is, though, to you, Chip, is that 
there are others out there. It's not a singular. You don't have to have someone hired before you fire them. Okay, let me go back to my original. This point. isn't the president and the vice president of the United States. Okay, okay. let me stop that way. Let me go back to my original. They didn't have Mac, they didn't have Mac Brown hired before they fired John Mackwood. That's true. That's true. They um, didn't have Daryl Royal hired. That's true. Okay, so. All right, so not that me, I was around then, but here's the here's the point. I think, I think, and this I'm just trying to, I'm trying to look at it from Del Conte's perspective. Um, he doesn't want to look like Florida State. He doesn't want to look like, he doesn't want to look like panic. Like, okay, we won ten games, won won the Sugar Bowl last year, beat OU. Lost in the lost Big 12 championship OU. game. Lost to OU too. Yeah. Right. Lost to lot was losing by three points until the strip sack in the you know the safety. And then end up losing by twelve, but it was a three point game with seven minutes left. And then I can explain the injuries on defense this year, and I can explain Herman if he goes to Del Conte and says, I screwed up. I didn't have the right offensive coordinator. Tried to patch it. It didn't work. Can we go get a new offensive coordinator? I think Del Conte will say yes. And and then another year comes off the buyout, Bobby. Okay, so let, he, let him show that amount of foresight. Right. That, that, that's fine. If, if Herman shows foresight and talks about the things that he, he's got issues with. I, I mean, I'm okay with that. I, once again, I'm not saying the guy has to go or anything, Chip. I'm not. This wasn't hasn't been. I don't know. I think it's a good discussion because there's a ton of our life. members at Horns 24/7 are done with Herman. They've they've seen enough. They've heard enough. They don't like him. And when when things are bad and and they don't like you, I mean, it gets it's it's bad. And but, I. But here's I, the deal. Here's the deal, Chip. I'm not necessarily right or wrong. No, but you're and, raising and the I point. Don't, I, but but my in my my thought process on this is that not necessarily do I not think he needs to go. I mean, I mean, I know that's a lot of not, and so you right. No, you're negative. you're raising the the discussion. I, I it, it needs to be evaluated. Gone, we've gone from a situation where yeah, he won the Sugar Bowl, lots of lots and lots of goodwill and uh, points in the positive. We've come to such a point now where Texas is six and five and looked like absolute garbage, hot garbage <laughs> for hot, stinky garbage for, uh, you know, for, the last half of the season. Right. And it's been the defense. It's been the offense. It's been special teams. I mean, it's, it's been bad penalties. It's been bad play calls. It's been uninspired play. It's been all of that. That that is not. Hey, let me go hire an offensive coordinator. That's not. That doesn't fix right. things. Right. And and I, you know, and so if he shows foresight, if he understands and talks about these things, gee, maybe if he came back and said, gee, maybe I shouldn't call power run right with the quarterback <laughs> on fourth and two and fourth and one. Amen. Then, then let's talk. But if he's going to be so hard headed. It, it it's and this is what I'm trying to say to you. John Makovic should have been hot, fired when it was sixty six to three, not six weeks later. Yeah, 
I mean, that's when you know, you know, and you go and then, then you go and find somebody. There are good football coaches out there that that Texas could hire. Okay, and well then, so we're gonna, I'm, we're gonna, I'm just totally, we're gonna, totally, we're gonna leave it right there. there, Bobby. And then you're you're kind of you're kind of evaluating. You're, I don't think you're at sixty six to three yet, but you're evaluating. So exactly. Let's, let's no, put, I'm not at sixty sixty three. That's a great put, way to put it. Let's put another game in the in the resume on Friday, and let's come back next week and let's see if your scales are tipping one way or the other. Yeah, I, I just want to say this before I let you go because you mentioned Shaka Smart. You realize he got blown out, and yet he had a guy go six for six from three. <laughs> I mean, I I mean, just that doesn't that doesn't oh. happen. Yeah. I just, uh, uh, oh, yeah. All right. Okay. I, I think they're better this year. I do think they're better. Well, I'm not so sure. So we'll talk <laughs> about that too. We'll okay. talk about that too. <laughs> there right. he is, folks. Bobby Burton, the Godfather. Um, love it every week. That's such. Uh, that's great conversation right there. Thanks, Bobby. All right, letter chip. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, joining us now is Bruce Feldman. I mean, we love Bruce Feldman. I mean, who's better at covering college football than our man Bruce Feldman, for crying out loud? And guess what, kids? He is going to be on the sideline for Texas and Texas Tech on Friday at 11 a.m. So, Bruce, let me... Let me see. You were at TCU. And I was. Yeah, have... that uh, I did not expect that to happen. What happened <laughs> when we were in Fort Worth? <laughs> me neither. Um, have you had any other Texas games? Did you have one other one? No, that was the first time we had them um, this year. We have, we had them last year a couple times. We had them when they beat TCU last year, and then we had them in the opener in at, at Maryland in that weather delay game, which. Yep. You know, looking at the forecast, I'm afraid we might get another weather delay game this Friday. Man, we got to get rid of these weather delay games. You know what I mean? Yes, especially because so, I'm down in the middle of it. I don't know. Right, you're, you're unprotected. Uh, here I am up in the press box. You're down there grinding in the, in the rain. Yeah, right now, 60% chance of showers. And, uh, yeah, okay, I won't, we won't talk about that. Uh, we want Bruce to be in a good mood, but Bruce, Texas fans are not in a good mood. I mean, six and five. I think you and I both had 
much higher hopes for Texas. I thought they would win 10 games and, and play Baylor in the Big 12 championship. As it turns out, I got Baylor right, but was nowhere near on Texas. Your thoughts on a Texas team that is now fighting to get to seven and five and trying to stay away from six and six. Yeah, it's been puzzling. I'm with you. I expected them to be a playoff team. I knew they had a lot of guys they had to replace on defense, and they probably didn't have the personnel to match up. But uh, then they had a run of injuries that made it even worse. The part that really surprised me was I thought their offense would be a lot more consistent. And I really think that when you look at how uh, Devin Duvernay has stepped up, I think that was that's I don't want to say a pleasant surprise because obviously there's a big recruit going in there, but just it it just seems like there was so much pressure on the offense because for the first half of the season the defense you know was terrible and then in the last month or so you know starting with that TCU game it just felt like the offense kind of ran out of gas and I don't think you can pinpoint to really any one thing on that about that but the the thing that I think is interesting or maybe noteworthy is when you look at where they rank in the you know this month in the Big 12 in penalties, Texas is dead last. And when they had a really good year last year at this time, they were fourth in the conference. So I don't you know penalties often kind of are linked to discipline and focus, and it just feels like think something's a little bit of a disconnect right there now. And and um, I, I'm curious to see. You know, watching the game, I was at Oklahoma last week. We had TCU Oklahoma, and I saw the videos of Tom Herman headbutting one of his players for the game. And you're like, okay, well, let's see how fired up they are. And it went the complete up other direction. I'm watching the game, and I'm like, Baylor's dominating them. That just it just didn't line up with my expectations of where I thought Texas would be. Yeah, I mean, Texas offensively has just been awful, and they're. 108th, I think, in first quarter scoring, have not scored a point in the first quarter of their last three games. I mean, it's it's anemic. And you're, as a Fox um, television reporter, you get to have those meetings with the coaches, you know, going into the game and everything. I get the sense that, you know, Herman took over the play calling last year and it, it wasn't working with Tim Beck and Herman was able to save it last year. And then I think everyone had a year of film to study and the off season and Herman was still trying to make this collaborative offensive uh, play calling game planning work, even with Larry Fedora and Andre Coleman in the room. But at the end of the day, if Herman's not the one in the trenches doing all the, the work and, and really seeing how their defense lines up and, you know, he's not in the booth and he said he's not comfortable as comfortable calling plays from the sideline. I think it just, you know, it, it's, it didn't work this year. And, and then I think everyone started pressing and stressing. And, and so in my mind, Bruce, Tom's got to go hire a new offensive coordinator and, and, take that off of his plate and get back to being the head coach. Um, and we'll see. We'll see what, what Tom comes up with. What what would be your thoughts on that if, if Tom went that direction? Well, I guess it would depend on who the guy is and who the, who the, what the comfort level is with 
whoever that's going to be. I mean, you're going to have probably some new receivers in there because you have a couple of seniors who are good players are going to move on. I would have thought Sam was going to be a three and out, but I don't know how he, you know, that to me doesn't seem like it would be the case just because you look at the draft and what we think it's going to be, whether it's Joe Burrow and, you know, Tua's going to be, he's supposed to be healthy and he's back and Justin Herbert. There's a handful of other guys I think would, would right now, your stock is going to be higher. Uh, just in the last month, I mean, this team hasn't scored more than 27 points in a game uh, since playing Kansas, and that was in mid-October. Yeah, and and we're talking about this is the Big 12. I mean, it's you're not going to get it done if you can't if you can't be a little more dynamic than that. And so, I I don't know. I mean, I don't think this is necessarily a knock on Tim Beck. You know, I I think he's he's done a lot of good things in his in his career. It just seems like, you know, for whatever reason, the message doesn't seem to be getting through. And I don't know why that is. And I think, you know, to some degree, I think Tom Herman's in a little uncharted waters just because, you know, he was at Houston for a relatively short period of time. He's been at Texas for a while. I mean, these are his guys, you know, and I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see where where it goes next. I think Tom is a really smart football coach and. Like it, I just didn't expect it to go this way. To yeah. be perfectly honest, I thought they would take that momentum and really run with it. I think Sam Ellinger is a terrific leader. I think that you know he's a really, really gifted college quarterback. I thought the fit was really good. Um, and again, I don't know if it was a case of there was a a young locker room where a bunch of people looked at it as as it's going to be playoff or bust. And once it wasn't that, did they just kind of let go of the rope? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to find out a little bit more when we get down to Austin. Yeah. And they've played hard. I mean, they've, they've battled even when eight, three and outs at Iowa state. I mean, the defense just hung in there and then against all odds, they take a 21, 20 lead. And then, and then Herman stops attacking down the field with four minutes left. And I think Ellinger was furious. I know he was. I was on the field and watched him come off the field. And then, you know, that they didn't let him throw and keep trying to attack after going on 10 and 15 play drives. And then, sure enough, Iowa State gets the ball back. And, you know, the Texas jumped off sides on a field goal attempt. That was the only thing they could not do because even if they make the field goal with 212 left there's enough time for texas to drive and kick their own field goal um but that allowed them you know to continue the drive and and kill the clock and kick the game winning field goal so it's you know last week was the first time that it just the wheels came off and there was no life you know the defense played well for a half and and then you know the offense was just if not for a 70-yard or 68-yard run by Keontae Ingram that set up this field goal out of nowhere at the end of the half. Um, and then, you know, the the touchdown with one second left in the game, it really was a shutout. So, um, you know, kudos to Matt Rule. Let me let me get your thoughts on uh, Matt Wells and, and Texas Tech because they've had heartbreak. Oh, my Lord. Their loss, their double overtime loss at Baylor where it looked like they'd won it three different times. And then, you know, they block a field goal against Kansas. If they just leave the ball on the field and don't touch it, 
they win that game, but they pick it up, they fumble it. Kansas gets another chance at the field goal. Kansas, you know, kicks it and wins the game. And there's their bowl eligibility out the window. So you're you you've, you've known Matt Wells, you know, before he got to Texas Tech. What are your thoughts on on Matt and and where you know he'll eventually end up with the Tech program? Yeah, I think he's, you know, I've known him for years. I think he's a really, really uh, sharp guy. I think he's, there's an authenticity that I think has responded well with players. And I think uh, he's done an interesting job with with kind of taking his offense in, uh, of a hybrid of some of the old Oregon offense under Chip Kelly and, and some of the things that Mark Helfrich was doing and certainly some principles of Mike Leach's system and then some of the run game that he had already had on his own as well. And I think, that worked really well at Utah State when he had a, Jordan Love, who was a terrific quarterback who he evaluated and was on top of and developed. I think right now, I, I think you have a program that's just a real rebuild, and there's no other way to say it. I mean, there's some good, there's still some good players in the program, but you know they've had to play most of the year with a backup quarterback, Jet Duffy, who's got some talent, and their offense has been has been pretty good. I think the thing that's you know, noteworthy is their defense has has at least become respectable. If you look at it, Oklahoma put 55 on them, and that was in Norman. But after, the, but beyond that, nobody else has really lit up the Red Raiders. And so they've been in these games where you look at it and it's like, you know, they like you said, the Baylor game, they lose by three. They lose by, I think, 10 to Iowa State, lose by three to, to Kansas on the road lose by two or three to, to TCU and then lose by three to K-State. I mean, if you even win half those games, I mean, they're a seven and four team. And I think it's a different story. So I think, you know, a lot of that is just a, it's it's a team kind of figuring out its identity right now, because for so long, Texas Tech really kind of at least knew what it was. And I, I just think at Texas Tech at the reality, I mean, the only one who's really I didn't say even one big Mike Leach won there, but you look Tuberville couldn't get it going there at all. And then Cliff just seemed like he was spinning his wheels a little bit, did some good things, but the defense was so bad. And I think now Matt Wells is, is really trying to, I think, establish a different culture there. And I think there's going to be some growing pains with it, especially with, without a, you know, a quarterback, Alan Bowman getting hurt early on. I just think they've just been trying to, put the pieces together and it's hard to get momentum when you lose a lot of close games. Yeah. I felt like cliff, you know, if he'd have hired David Gibbs right out of the shoot as defensive coordinator would have been fine, but he kind of fumbled around and it took him too long to, to get to David Gibbs. And, um, I kind of feel like that's, that's where Tom Herman is right now with the offense and, and whether to turn it over, because um, you know major major called the plays for him and at Houston and and that went well and and it is not worked as well at Texas so we'll see if if Matt Wells um, can pull it off I mean Texas Tech has won the last two times they've come to Austin as as underdogs and yeah, we, did, we actually did one of those games it was a Thanksgiving game uh, night. It was a rainy night, and I just remembered Cl- Cliff Kingsbury had uh, Jakeem Grant had his little. Yep. Uh, I mean, you can call it whatever. Like they had different names for the play, 
it was it was like small world big play or whatever and then there was a uh hide the little guy and it was the word was little guy the you know play that they called it and it was kind of the the one that there was a big it was a big moment for that program but that program really was never able to you know to do much after that and um you know you wonder again i I'm really interested in Texas to see how do they respond after such a clunker performance last week. I mean, yeah, they're going to go to a bowl game, but there's a big <laughs> difference between us being a seven and five team and being a team that that's like limping down the finish line and not doesn't even have a winning record, especially with the expectations. I mean, I, I think you'd make a case right now that there hasn't been any pro any team this year that's probably been any more disappointing than Texas. You know, like, yeah, there's been teams that were around the rankings who have had horrible years, Northwestern especially. But nobody saw Northwestern as a team that, like, was on the playoff radar. Uh, Stanford's going to be a 4-8 and eight team probably. They were a team that was in the top 25, but I don't think people looked at them as a real legit playoff contender. I think with the way Texas spanked Georgia in that game uh, at the end of the year, and who they had coming back certainly on offense and getting LSU in Austin where, you know, you get a, a, a heavyweight SEC team to come to your building on a Saturday night and Oklahoma having to replace a, a Heisman Trophy winner and four offensive linemen. I mean, that's, that felt like there's a lot of stuff in line for, for Texas to have a huge year, and it, it obviously didn't happen. Yeah, no question about it. Yeah, I, everyone had them back in the Big 12 title game. I'm um, talking to Bruce Feldman and Bruce, what, where's urban Meyer going to be next year? My guess. And again, you know, full disclosure, I work at Fox, but just from, from all the stuff that I, you know, my read on his situation is I don't think he really is ready to, to jump back into, into coaching at this point. I think, you know, his, his health issues are, it's not like they've gone away. I just think the stress level has changed for him. We did games where he was down on one knee in agony in, in so much pain, and that was a huge issue. I don't think that, like I said, that issue hasn't gone away. So there's that. And then just from being on some of the conference calls that we do at Fox to get ready for the weekend, he's really in, engaged and invested in trying to be good on TV. And he doesn't sound like a guy who's ready to to, to jump back into coaching. Now, I could be totally wrong on that. It's not like he and I have had very personal conversations on that front. But just my read on how he seems very invested on the TV side. He seems genuinely uh, passionate about not just, uh, not just him being good, but also the Fox Sports brand in college football getting more traction i think he's commi- i think he is very passionate about that and that's something that um i think is would probably surprise a lot of people from the outside if they well, if they saw it that way well everyone looks at usc and is is usc gonna make a change with clay helton do you think right now it doesn't sound like they will i mean my read on it is it's i just don't the new the new AD Mike Bone, everything I've heard, likes Clay Helton a lot, respects him, respects the job he's done. The new president, who's almost as new as Mike Bone, Carol Folt, she's very comfortable with him, thinks he's done a good job. I'm not convinced that 
this is going to be a a a a shakeup after all. Now, what could change it is there's a ton of USC people, money people, former prominent you know prominent former players who are over Clay Helton, and they just feel like like him as a guy. I think he did a pretty good job this year. Not convinced that he should be the guy who's going to lead us back to competing for national titles. And I think. I don't know how much pushback there's going to be towards the growing feeling that Clay Helton might have saved his job. Yeah, and and if they were to make a change, do you think they would do whatever they could to get Urban? Or is that not your sense of the new leadership? Uh, that isn't my sense of the new leadership. I I, I don't think necessarily urban would be the guy that's not my read on it i could be wrong on that but that's my read is it's not going to be urban if they if they would go in a different direction yeah bruce anything else at the top of your uh i'd say notebook you're not even i mean you are a writer you you write you write for the uh for the athletic um Uh, yeah it's a lot of coaching search stuff going on (laughs) that's what is that's what has been that's been keeping me busy this week between the Rutgers vacancy and other stuff coming open. We're taping our podcast on Monday and I got a, a, call, a missed call from somebody and then I texted that person back and was basically telling me uh, we just got notified that we are we're our head coach is getting is getting fired at UNLV. And so that like that's the kind of thing where it's just this is the season for that. And so uh, our crew has a double this week. We go to we go to uh, obviously Austin on for Friday morning. And then right after that game, we're flying to Oklahoma City because we have Bedlam on Saturday night. So it's it's a it's a good time of year, but it's, it's, a, it's definitely a hectic time of year. All right. Last thing. Who's the coach of the year right now? Uh, I think the coach of the year was the guy who was in Austin on week two. I think it's Ed Ogeron. Um yeah what they've done they're the number one team in the country he was the one who went out and found joe brady who was who's basically been the offensive hire of the year and the basically the the assistant coach hire of the year nobody knew anything about him and that guy really completely revolutionized lsu's offense and so couple that with joe burrow and you know bringing joe burrow in who was a guy that a lot of people didn't want and joe burrow's gonna go win the heisman and they went to Tuscaloosa and beat the Tide, and they have wins over over Auburn and Florida. And I think if they beat Texas A&M this weekend, they're going to go 12-0 and and go play for the SEC championship. I think his, the, what he's done there has been pretty remarkable, never mind just the backstory of the path for him to get to that point as the interim guy and the guy who, who failed miserably at, at Ole Miss in a short stint there you know, a dozen years ago. I think he is... He, to me, he's the big front runner right now for Coach of the Year honors. Yeah. I guess they're going to have to give uh, Joe Brady a co-offensive coordinator title and a whole bunch more money, huh? Yeah. Look, that school has a lot of money, though. And quite honestly, they're not paying the head coach that much money. I mean, right. the head coach is making a lot less than most coaches in his own conference, much less around Power 5. Well, Bruce Feldman, it's always great to catch up with you. I look forward to seeing you on Friday in Austin. Hope uh, hope the weather uh, forecast changes for your for your sake, my man. But always appreciate the time and keep up the good work. And happy Thanksgiving. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And see you, see you soon. All right, Bruce Feldman, everyone. 
All right, we're joined now by Jared Johnson, publisher of InsideTheRedRaiders.com. Texas Tech coming to Austin at 4-7, and 2-6 and six in Big 12 play under first-year coach Matt Wells. And my man, Jared Johnson. I mean, Texas Tech's a basketball school now, right, Jared? <laughs> yeah, hey, Tim, first off, uh, Thank y'all for having me on, man. I always love uh, doing anything with y'all. Y'all, y'all are the best there in, in that market. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, it is tech. It really has become a basketball school. It's really a stark difference there uh, between the football program, just like the environment, the game environment, and the basketball game environment. I mean, they're selling out for like Tennessee State, uh, fifteen thousand strong. I mean, the student, uh, the students just love Coach Beer. They love the program. Football, I mean, they can't beg people to show up, basically. It's the last two games, I guess, TCU and Kansas State were the lowest attending games I have personally seen at the Jones since the 90s. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. All right, well, give me something positive that's happened in the first year under Matt Wells. I mean, are fans going to give him a chance, or are they just not even paying attention to him yet? No, there's some. there's definitely some positivity uh, especially on the recruiting trail. I mean, just here recently, uh, Lolik Fuanji, Midland League four-star receiver, just committed to the Red Raiders. They picked up a big uh, 2021 commit from four-star quarterback Baron Morton. Uh, you can go down the list. There's several guys that really, in the recent years, under the previous coaching staff, Tech would have had no chance of landing that. Uh, Matt Wells and his staff are starting to land. They are actually starting to land big 12 caliber recruits against, you know, some of their, their uh, big time rivals there uh, in the big 12, which has been nice to see because, you know, recruiting is hope recruiting is the future. And that's really the name of the game in college sports. And it's, they've been relentless. That's how, that's how they've done it is just with relentless work. And uh, it's been nice to see that there is some hope there uh, with Red Raider football. Uh, talking to Jared Johnson, publisher of InsideTheRedRaiders.com. And uh, as I look at the Big 12 statistics, Texas Tech is, is you know, doing well scoring offense. They're top three. Scoring defense, they're bottom two giving up 34.2 points per game. I love Jordan Brooks. Where where are they deficient uh, on defense? Well, in the secondary and on third downs, which, I mean, the two pretty much go together. Third down is a quarterback stat. Big 12 quarterbacks have just absolutely torched Texas Tech. Um, and last week was no different. I mean, they had an opportunity to get off the field, get the ball back, and possibly uh, win the game. And Third and 11, they let Skylar Thompson, actually this was on a run, uh, kind of get out of the backfield and run and pick up the first down. It was game over. And in previous weeks, it was big-time completions on third and long where Tech had an opportunity to win and you know, get off the field and win. It's just been, you know, it seems like they just can't get out of their own way, uh, whether it be turnovers or offense or defense, uh, not being able to get off the field on third down. You mentioned Jordan Brooks, beast stud. He's been one of the best uh, players, period, for Texas Tech in a long time. I think he's going to have a great NFL career. Um, his speed, his combination of speed, size, uh, I, football IQ are outstanding. I think it's – I hate for him and I hate for Red Ritter fans that you kind of – I don't say squandered his season, but, I mean, 
obviously they're going to have another losing season in, in spite of his great performance. And I hate to see that for him. You know, it's amazing. Um, Jared, Texas tech had that Baylor game one mm-hmm. in Waco. And that was a turning point in the red Raider season. That was going to be a signature win for Matt Wells. And, and it, you know, the bad call, the 99-yard drive or whatever to the field goal to force overtime. Yep. You take me through it because that, that was a heartbreaker. What did that game, how did it impact Tech's season? It was, and I think I actually underestimated the emotional impact now after talking with some of the players and the coaches weeks, uh, you know, away from it. Because at the time, you, you know, you hear players want to deny it. Oh, no, we're ready for this game. You bounce back. You hear the old cliche. But now that it's been played out and Tech isn't going to a bowl game, uh, the season is what it is. Uh, they've admitted basically, man, this that game, and not really just a controversy, but just the loss, everything they put into it. There's several times they thought they won the game only to lose it against an in-state rival. It, it was tough, and yeah, I mean, bottom line is it was it was back and forth. Just a it was actually a smash mouth type, like old school Big Twelve uh, type game, and it was really a fun game to watch. Red Raiders uh, took a late late lead and final. I think two minutes jet Duffy led them on a, you know, like an 80 yard drive where he converted several third and longs with his arm, which was cool to see. And at this point, the red Raiders were coming off that upset of Oklahoma state. So, I mean, there was actually a lot of positivity around this program and uh, they score, they take the lead, but Baylor, like you said, marches right down the field. For some reason, tech, tried to play basically a prevent defense the whole way. Mm. And boy, you know what that does? That prevents you from winning. <laughs> so instead of blitzing, like they had Char- uh, Charlie Brewer all day, and they forced him into at least two turnovers uh, and really frustrated him, they decided at the <laughs> the most important moment when they just needed one more stop to play prevent defense, and it cost them. So they could have won the game right there. Make no mistake. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to make any, any kind of like, you know, say, oh, the Big 12 screwed them. They could have won right there. But then again, on the first play or second play of overtime, well, the Big 12 did, Big 12 refs did screw them by uh, calling that phantom legal snap, um, which would have given Tech the ball, you know, obviously right there. They have a, they have a very good kicker. Uh, and Trey Wolf, who, who, especially up to that point, had been pretty much automatic. Uh, for me, you know, anywhere 45 yards in. And instead, Baylor marched down the field, scored, ended up going to, uh, I think, either double or triple overtime. And uh, Baylor won in the end. And they, they deserve to win for their play. But I just hate that, like, a ref actually, ha- you know, played such a huge part in, in determining the outcome right. of the game. And I think it took a lot. It did. Uh, you know, I knew it would take something out of them. But just how much, and talking to some of their, even their senior leaders, uh, it, it took out of them. I, I was surprised because I think it took them several weeks to bounce back from that. Well, and then the Kansas game where <laughs> if, they, if they just don't oh. touch the blocked field goal. Oh man. They win the game. Mm, that was so, that was so bad. I think that that was really when tech fans kind of, you know, I think of the uh, Seinfeld meme where Jerry Seinfeld steps up like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> right. I think that's, that's where a lot of tech fans was like, no, you know, Maybe next year we'll see what the, what they do in recruiting because I'm I'm done with that. First off, Tech had beaten Kansas. You know it's Kansas. You know, Tech had beaten them twelve times in a row. They were sixteen and one overall. It was like the one thing. Even Cliff Kingsbury, one thing he did, he, he beat Kansas every year. 
Uh, I'm serious. Like if no, right. if nobody, there are, there are years where Tech literally beat no one in the Big Twelve except for Kansas. So uh, under Kingsbury, so that was that was really difficult for everyone to swallow. Like just the fact that Tech was up 17 to nothing in that game to start the game. So they showed up ready to play. They're up by 13 in the third. They're up by touchdown in the fourth. And still Kansas, you got to give them credit for you know continuing to fight back. But uh, Tech allowed Kansas to beat them, and that was that's when a lot of people. I mean, there were some pretty high-profile alumni pretty much publicly voicing their displeasure over the state of the program with that. Because it's been a decade where Tech has been really basically since 2009 uh, and really back to 2008 with that that game against Texas in in Lubbock where where Tech's really been relevant, period, in, in, in the sport of football. So I think Tech fans are really frustrated, and that was kind of the the i guess rock bottom the you say tip of the iceberg yeah the low point that yeah. that really was yeah and then they go to west virginia impressive put it yeah. on the mountaineers but then lose a heartbreaker to tcu and that heartbreaker to k-state that you described well here's the good news jared texas tech has won <laughs> their last two times that they've come to austin is is heavy underdogs and yeah you know look jed duffy had texas on the ropes last year i mean Sam Ellinger had to throw a almost a hail mary to to little Jordan uh, Humphrey to to mm-hmm. win that game, and I mean, what are the, what are the chances that the Red Raiders come and and put Texas at six and six? Well, uh, for one, you know the Longhorns are obviously. I mean, everybody's been uh, has suffered a lot of injuries. I mean, you look around the the conference and the country. I mean, everybody's been beset by injuries, but man. It seems like Texas was hit really hard this year. So, I mean, that always helps. I mean, even Texas, with the way the Longhorns recruit, I mean, suffers a lot of attrition and just the hit to depth. So, that's one. I mean, you've seen – I think we've seen that over the second half of the year. Number two, though Tech is out of bowl contention, Tech's always going to get up for Texas. Now, I've talked to several of their senior leaders this week. Getting up for them or, like, you know, just – the thought that maybe Tech is like, okay, we're not going to a bowl, so who cares? They're not going to play hard. No, they're going to show up ready to play in Austin because beating uh, Texas, and for some of those guys, especially the seniors uh, who were, who redshirted, to be able to be a part of the team to beat them three times in a row in Austin is meaningful for them. So that gives that gives hope as well. And then, yeah, Jet Duppy has been actually a bright spot. Um, he's been very good this year. He's taking care of the ball for the most part. And he's taken uh, he's been taking the most of his opportunities when they've been presented. It's been a pretty conservative offense under David Gibbs, but um, he's made some pretty big plays this year and played well. Well, um, you want to give us a prediction? <laughs> well, look, Tech has lost four games by a combined eleven points, and that gives some people hope. I actually take another look at it. Is that I, I feel like they've had plenty of opportunities to win and squandered it, and that's kind of been the MO for a lot of these guys um, that are going to be playing on Saturday. So I think it's going to be a close game. And I honestly think Texas is going to win. I mean, Longhorns need to win in, in, a, in a bad way as well. Um, I think the Longhorns will find a way to win a close one on Friday. Yeah. I, they don't, Texas only seems to play close games um, <laughs> just like tech. So I think, yeah. I think this is going to actually be an entertaining game. Um, yeah. Probably more entertaining than Texas fans want, but, Jarrett, you're the best, man. Um, everybody needs to get over to InsideTheRedRaiders.com. If you're an annual subscriber to Horns247.com, you can 
check out all the content at InsideTheRedRaiders.com so you can check out all the great basketball coverage. Chris Beard, UT grad. <laughs> I always point that out to Jared. Yeah, he is. You know, Absolutely. Texas Tech basketball school, baby. Hey, Jarrett, happy Thanksgiving, man. We'll talk soon. Happy Thanksgiving, Chip. Thanks for having me on the show, man. You got it. All right, there he is, Jarrett Johnson. We'll, we'll get him back on during basketball season. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man. Thanks, Jarrett. Appreciate it, yeah, man. Thank you so much. Yep. All right. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay. Bye. Talk soon. All right. Great stuff. I mean, are you kidding me with this episode eight of the uh, flagship podcast? I mean, this is why you are a member at horns247.com so that you're hanging out with us all the time and you're getting great guests like, of course, the Godfather. I mean, he is he is horns 247. Bobby Burton, Bruce Feldman, who is probably going to be walking around with like squeegees on his feet. <laughs> Taylor, have you looked at the forecast? Yeah, it's, it doesn't look good. No doubt oh about gosh. it. Is anyone going to the game? Is anyone going to Bevo Boulevard? Is anyone going to buy a beer? Like <laughs> I hear Sodexo, the, the, the whatever concession stand supplier for Texas is freaking out. Cause they're like, no one's going to come. No one's going to buy a beer. I mean, shoot, if we have to cover the game, we may need to buy beers before coming. Seriously, we may just be in the press box just slamming <laughs> with light. You know what I mean? That would make the season so much better, would it not? It would. You know what? This Friday, post-Thanksgiving, it might. we just might need to flask it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fireball. Don't they have this binocular flask or something? I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll update you all in episode nine of the flagship about how that goes. But Taylor, why don't you tell our friends what is at stake for the horns in this game against Texas tech on Friday at 11 on Fox? What happens with a win? What happens with a loss in the postseason? So I think the biggest thing right now is with a win, you know, it's, it's hard to take much from this game because Texas is, basically fighting for either six and six or seven and five, seven and five sounds a lot better with a bull win. Eight and five sounds much, much better than, you know, six and six or worse. So with this, if Texas can find a way to win against Texas tech, then there's a chance that Texas will go to the camping world bowl and they could face Notre Dame. Now, you know, I know Notre Dame is not at the status as it was a couple of years ago or, you know, last year playing for a college football playoff spot, but, with if Texas does face Notre Dame, then this senior class will have been able to start its career as in college football at Texas against Notre Dame, and they will be able to end their career, their college football career at Texas versus Notre Dame. So, you know, that's a very uh, probably cupcake type of tailgate takeaway this week, but <laughs> At this point, I mean, you're kind of just hoping for small moral victories. I think if you're a Texas fan, the season has gone so far in the direction opposite of what fans really wanted it to be. So it would be kind of, you know, poetic to have Texas face Notre Dame, have these seniors who have been through, honestly, the ringer. I mean, think of the amount of turmoil they've seen. Think of the amount of coaching changes they've seen. Think of the just amount of adversity they have seen in their college careers for them to kind of be able to start their careers against a team 
and then finish their careers against that same team. I think that's kind of, I guess, a little bit of a uh, good story for, you know, whatever you want to call it at this point. But that's kind of my tailgate takeaway, Chip. I think yours is going to be the most important of what Texas fans want to hear, though. Okay, well, hold on. Not so fast, my friend. Okay, okay. The Camping World Bowl is played in Orlando. Okay. Now, if my memory serves me correct, there's no bigger Disney fan than Taylor Estes. That is true. That is is true. Is that true? (laughs) Yes. I love, I mean, I grew up going to Disneyland because my family, you know, I grew up in Southern California, so I grew up like 30 minutes away from Disneyland. I had a season pass basically since I could walk. Um, and I've been to Disney World a number of times too. So yes, personally, uh, I, I may spend my entire time at <laughs> Disney World if I'm covering the Camping World Bowl, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I don't think we'll see Taylor at any practices no. for Texas Notre Dame if that's, if that's the case. So uh, for by the way, if Texas loses, there is a chance they would play SMU. Uh, most likely in the Liberty Bowl, but maybe the Texas Bowl. But this is the game I wanted to see in the Cotton Bowl about seven games ago. Right. Shane versus Sam. Yes. Shane versus Sam, you know, a couple of 10 and two teams or something. Yeah. Okay. Um, We'll move on. Okay. So my tailgate takeaway, Taylor, in episode eight of the flagship podcast is win or lose on Friday, buckle up, kids, because changes are a-coming. If you're a member of Horns247.com, you saw my report that Larry Fedora will be moving on. Larry Fedora, former head coach at Southern Miss and North Carolina, he was let go after last season, a 2-10 and record, and he was replaced by, of course, Mac Brown. Uh, but Larry Fedora has three more years paying him $3 million each year. His wife is like, what are you doing? Let's go. Let's get on vacation. <laughs> Let's have some fun. This is ridiculous. So Larry Fedora is, uh, is going to be moving on. Uh, I believe Andre Coleman, the former K-State offensive coordinator, will also be moving on in the spring. That's when his payout from K-State ends, and he'll be looking for an on-field uh, position again. But, um, yes, I think, well, changes are coming. I don't think. It, they are coming. And I think Tom Herman gets it. And so with that, we will be back next week with episode nine of the flagship podcast. Chip, hold on. I have to ask you, do you think the changes will be coming before we come back for episode nine? Or do you think it's TBD? Nope. I think the changes will have taken place by the time we get to episode nine. All right. So we'll have a lot to talk about next week. And everyone have a great Thanksgiving. Hope you're, uh, Thanksgiving is full of friends, family, love and laughter. And until next time for the battling horse, uh, voiceless Taylor Estes. 
our fearless leader, <laughs> managing editor at horns247.com. For Bobby Burton, the godfather. For Bruce Feldman, who's going to be soaked in rain on Friday. And for our man, Jared Johnson at InsideTheRedRaiders.com. I am Chip Brown. Thank you for listening. Let's do it again next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.